Life sometimes can make you feel powerless, lonely, and anxious. But like the dawning of a new day, we have this promise that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. to say welcome to all of you who are here in the room with me and welcome to all who are watching online. I really believe God has something special in store for you. I believe that we're going to be able to experience a new level of freedom and deliverance, that God is going to break some strongholds of pain and depression, and that he's going to restore some joy into our lives. Are you ready for that? We're continuing our ser sermon series Power, love, and a sound mind. Jesus and your mental health. The writer of Psalm 43 asked a couple of questions. He said, why must I go about mourning? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Maybe you're asking a similar question. Thousands and thousands of people in America right now are asking some of those same questions. We are experiencing the greatest levels of depression ever experienced in our country. And why? The answer is why? The answer is why so many people are depressed. I mean, it can go all the way from the Phillies losing the National League Championship Series. I mean, painful for us who are here in the Philadelphia area, to frightening medical diagnosis, or overwhelming financial trials, job loss, or maybe it's a chemical imbalance that we're experiencing in our bodies, in our minds. Maybe it's genetics or any number of issues, all kinds of losses, all kinds of heartaches that once they become discouragement, get lodged in our hearts and our minds, become entrenched and can lead us into depression. Right now, they say that 30% of Americans have experienced depression at some point in their lifetimes, and that's the highest number ever. And 20% are experiencing depression right now. 20% of Americans are experiencing depression right now, and that number is especially high among women and young adults. And here's what I suspect about men. A lot of times men cover up what might be depression by anger or other kinds of destructive habits. And so it's a real problem. And it's beyond just a little bit of discouragement. It's something that, that really has become epidemic. And so while the levels of depression are new to us, the issue of depression is not new to us. Uh, recently, I preached about Elijah. Elijah probably experienced depression. He probably would have been diagnosed with clinical depression. I'm not a psychiatrist or somebody who could make such a diagnosis, but it's very likely that he would have been diagnosed as depressed. And the psalmist who wrote Psalm 43 probably had a degree of 
depression. So let's look at what Psalm 43 says, and I believe it's going to give us some hope in the midst of whatever depression we might be facing, or those of us who have loved ones who are going through depression, it might give us some hope for their deliverance. So let's put our faith in God. Let's hear what God has to say through his word. Psalm 43, the psalmist says, vindicate me, my God. And plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I I love the way this just starts out. He, He just comes right out of the gate just expressing his desire. Vindicate me. Rescue me. Sometimes the best prayer that we can ever pray, whatever we're going through, is just, God, help me. God, help me. Isn't it good that you don't have to know a lot of theology? Isn't it good that you don't have to have a Bible degree? Isn't it good that you don't have to know the specific routines of exactly how to pray? Isn't it good that you don't necessarily have to have a certain level of spirituality? You just need to be able to cry out to God, rescue me. Help me, God. Help me. And I believe that's the first step to whatever deliverance God has in store for us. Help me. What does he need help with, though? What is it that causes him to cry out for vindication, for rescue? Well, he's a victim. He is a victim. He has been victimized by a wicked nation by people who are characterized with deceit and wickedness, an unfaithful nation. We don't know who the writer of the psalm is. A lot of people say David, but the psalm doesn't say. It doesn't have uh, a heading that says it was written by David. If it's tied in with Psalm 42, it was a psalm of the sons of Korah. So, You know, it could have been a king, it could have been a leader of a family, it could have been a leader of a group, or it could have been just an individual who has been wronged. He's been wronged in some way, and he's looking for vindication from God. He's looking for God to plead his case. He is looking for God to rescue him. In other words, he wants out of his predicament. He wants his circumstances to change. And a lot of times we're in that same predicament as well. A lot of us are in a predicament right now. I believe that's partly why there is such a high level of depression right now because, you know, wouldn't you say that there's a lot about society right now and social media and all the political tension that we experience, that there, there's just a lot of deceitfulness and wickedness going on in the world around us, wouldn't you say? And, and I think Christians especially are attuned to that, and, and it's no wonder that so many of us as believers 
can feel a little bit depressed when we look at what's going on around us. And when we feel oppression, when we feel that our voices have been silenced, when we feel that our views or our beliefs are no longer honored in our society, we can feel trampled down, we can feel put down, and we can begin to experience a certain degree of depression. Can we not? And it's, it's really no wonder. Can I also suggest this? And I'm not trying to be political or anything about this. I'm just saying that, man, there's so much tension right now in our nation that we can perhaps relate to this psalmist's plea concerning an unfaithful nation. I've learned this in recent months. I wasn't aware of this. I've, I've been aware for many years of, of racial injustice, but I never thought about it as an issue of mental health. Never thought of it that way. And and just lately, it's come to my attention that, man, there's very real trauma that is sometimes race-based, and we haven't dealt with it. And, And yet, we have people all around us who have experienced that trauma. And, you know, and, and sometimes we do politicize that, and I, I don't think we need to in order to be aware that it's very real. It's a very real issue. And even the rates of depression among certain ethnicities are higher than among the majority culture. And I, I, I believe you know, God hears the cry when we say, God, I, I've experienced Deceit, I've experienced wickedness from an unfaithful nation. And, and I'm not an America basher by any means. I, I served in the military, and I believe in supporting our nation. I don't have any qualms about being patriotic. But can we admit that sometimes where we've been and where we're going, where we are right now, can be traumatic. It can be depressing And it can even happen to people who know God. People who know God. And, you know, if if it's not that we've been betrayed by an unfaithful nation, we've been betrayed by an unfaithful spouse or an unfaithful parent or, you know, somebody who we thought was going to take care of us, somebody who we thought we could trust has been unfaithful in some way or another, either through deceit or wickedness. And even as believers, we can get to that point like, God, help, rescue me. Lord, I'm mourning. Lord, I'm feeling it. (sighs) Then look at verse 2. Let's read that again. Verse 2. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? Notice that he goes from feeling rejected and oppressed by people and, you know, deceived by people, having experienced the wickedness of people, to now he's saying, God, not only have these people done this to me, but now, God, you're my stronghold. You're the one I look to. You're the one I trusted in. And now you've rejected me too. Anybody ever feel like that? I mean, a lot of times we as believers, we know in our heads that's not the way it is, that God hasn't really rejected us, 
but we feel it. And the psalmist is certainly feeling it. He's gone from feeling attacked by people to feeling abandoned by, rejected by God. He's he's probably the kind of person, the kind of person who writes psalms, the kind of person who maybe serves in the temple of God, the kind of person who's been faithful. Like He probably says, God, I've been doing all the right things. You are my stronghold. He says it right there in verse 2. God, you're my stronghold. I've not been depending upon my own strength. I've not been just looking to myself. I've been looking to you. I'm doing the right things, and still, God, you're not stepping in. Still, God, you're not doing what I need you to do. God, how can it be? I've been faithful. I've been a good church member. I've served on the deacon board. I've been a good Sunday school teacher. Or could it possibly be, God, I've been a good pastor, but now, oh, why am I going through this? Hmm? Yeah. Any of us can feel that. I've never been diagnosed with depression, probably never have had clinical depression, except for a short while when I was on steroids (laughs) for back pain. (laughs) But I knew what was causing that. My daughter Anna's saying, Dad, I think you probably were. (laughs) But, you know, I've had some painful years of ministry. Can I just confess that? Uh, Plenty of pain throughout the years. I think I recently shared about being invited to um, one of the board members' homes. You know, hey, isn't that nice? A board member invited me over. And, you know, when I get there, he sits me down and he pulls out a list. And person by person, name by name, he goes through all these members of the church and how in each case there's a different story of how I let them down, how I offended them. Just person after person, I'm telling you what, if, I, if ever I was depressed, I was depressed after that. It was just painful, and it was just a constant tension. There, were, there was this, this constant weight, this constant burden of trying to please everybody in that 150-member church, which this was at that time, and just, oh, God, you know, I'm such a failure. I'm so terrible. It was, it was depressing, and I, I was only in my 30s back then. I probably didn't know a whole lot about pastoring, even though I had about four or five years' experience by that point. Uh, and it wasn't all bad. There were a lot of good things happening at the same time. But I do remember during that time going to visit my parents, and it was just such a relief to be with parents who just loved me and accepted me and embraced me. And I remember, you know, time to go back to Pennsylvania and just... Oh, just such a weight and such a burden. I I remember times of gathering with my life group, which was one of the very positive and good things that was happening while I had all this low-level animosity always going on in the church. And I'd go into the life group, and we'd play some worship songs, and I would just cry, just cry. And I'm sure everybody thought, oh, he's he's crying because he's just, you know, experiencing the Lord. I was crying because I was hurting I was crying because it was a terrible, terrible time. God shouldn't have allowed me to go through that. God, where are you? I'm being a good pastor. Our church is experiencing good things. I'm being faithful. I'm being loyal. I'm living a right kind of life. I'm just trying to serve you, God. I want to serve you. God, you're my stronghold. God, I'm doing the best I can. 
So why do I go about mourning? Why do I go about mourning? And some of us, like I said, that gets entrenched and it becomes depression. It becomes clinical depression. And we experience it with sadness and we, we have a change in appetite. Emily and I were talking and, you know, she doesn't eat and I eat more. You know, <laughs> so just when you're feeling depressed and I'm feeling depressed, just give me all your food and I'll eat it, you know. <laughs> That'll be a good way of dealing with that. Uh, changes in sleep patterns, all these things can be signs of depression. Even, like I said, anger. If you start finding yourself getting angry much more easily, you might, you might you know, be a, a tough man and, and say, well, I'm not depressed, but you're angry at everybody all the time. It's probably depression. Could be depression. I shouldn't say probably because I'm not a counselor or trained in that, but it could be. But the thing is, the psalmist doesn't stop there. He feels it, and I, I hope we understand that it's okay to feel this. It's okay, but we need to, to expect to move beyond that. And in, in verse 3, we see a movement toward hope, a movement toward hope. Verse 3 moves beyond just vindicate me, rescue me, change my circumstances. And I would say it becomes more interior. It becomes God, lead me. God, guide me. Shine your light. Show me your faithfulness. Verse 3 says, send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. I want to focus on God's light, God's faithful care. God's light indicates a spiritual solution to our mourning and our depression. When we're living in darkness, we need his light to shine. And that's the message of Jesus. He is the light of the world. He is the light that will shine in our depression. We need that spiritual light. But God also shows his faithfulness, his faithful care. It translates that in the NIV, his covenant faithfulness. It's not just his truth. It's not just, you know, send your light and your truth, even though that's an older translation. A better translation is, God, your faithfulness, your faithful care for me. And can I say that sometimes God's faithful care does not always look very spiritual. It's easy to spiritualize the light, the shining of God's light into the darkness of our depression. But sometimes God's faithful care will come in some very Ordinary ways. Very ordinary ways. My parents recently visited us here, and we talked about a time in my childhood, my very early childhood, when my mom went through three or four years of what became very se severe depression. And I asked, Mom, Mom, how did you deal with that? How did you get through? And she said, my mom was a strong believer, always faithful, faithful in church that whole time. Believed in God, prayed. But she said, I got through that time because I had a family doctor, Dr. Paul, that I could always talk to, and I had a family friend who would just listen to me that got me through. Didn't bring the healing necessarily, but it got her through. And that's God's faithfulness, God's faithful care. And God will give you faithful care during your time of feeling like you're mourning, that your soul is downcast. Maybe God's faithful care will include some medication or some counseling, some therapy. Maybe it'll be a good friend. 
Maybe it'll be your ongoing connection to the, the body of Christ, the local church. You'll, you'll want to do like Elijah. You want to alienate and isolate yourself, but it's important that you put yourself in a spot where God can show you his faithful care, and church is the best place on earth for that. In fact, those national statistics about depression, it's lower for regular churchgoers, and probably because there's help for one another in the body of Christ. Life groups, God will use these things to get you through. Doesn't mean that you're always going to walk out of every church service and every life group meeting and every prayer gathering, just, whoo, I'm on top of the clouds. Doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to break everything that you're struggling with right now. But God will continue to show you his faithful care. I promise you, God will do that. And, and notice that the psalmist is depending on God for this. He, he, he says, send your light, send your faithful care. Let them lead me, let them bring me to the place where you dwell. In other words, he's not saying, all right, soul, snap out of it. He's saying, God, send me your light, send me your faithfulness, let them lead me. I, I can't do it on my own. I can't do it by myself. And in talking to my mom about this message, she mentioned standing with a friend right now who's going through depression. And my mom said she told her friend, sometimes you can see the light, but you just don't know how to get there. And when my mom said that, my friend said, you know what I'm dealing with. You know what I'm dealing with. You know how it feels. See, with depression, you don't always know the cause. Why are you so downcast? And, and we don't always know the way out. It doesn't always make sense. We don't know exactly why we're feeling the way that we do. But we can ask God, God, send your light. God, be faithful to me. Send somebody who can maybe help me get to that light. Send your light. Send your faithful care. And then God will be faithful. See, God is faithful. This, this is one of the big differences in dealing with mental health issues from a faith-based perspective. You know, and I'm not an expert in the psychiatry or psychology of it all, but I can tell you that God is true and his word is true. I can stand on this word. And, and here's what the psalmist says in verses three and four. Let's look at those two verses together. Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar, to altar of God, to God, my joy, my delight. I will praise you with the lyre. That's the instrument, like a heart. Oh, God, my God. If God will save me, if God will lead me, if God will guide me, if he'll just get me to that place, then I will praise him. I know, I know, I know a lot of times, you know, just praise, just praise, just praise. And I do believe that's very important. That can be a major aspect of your deliverance from depression and pain and sadness and heartache. But sometimes we can't even praise our own way out of it. We could just say, God, help me, guide me, lead me, and then if you get me to that place, God, if you get me back to church, if you get me back into your presence, oh, man, I know what's waiting for me there. I know there's joy there. 
I know that's where you want me to go, God, so lead me. Again, it's not the psalmist saying, just snap yourself out of it. Just praise your way out of it. Just do this. It's like, God, I am dependent upon you. Folks, let me tell you, if we're dependent upon going through some kind of motions of praising, as somehow that's this magical thing that will get us out of deliverance, it's not going to work. What will work is letting God lead you and guide you into his presence. And then you'll find joy. It's waiting for you there. It's waiting for you there. It might not come immediately. It might not happen right now. Like I said, my mom went through a three or four year period of deeper and deeper depression. But God's not saying, just do it, just snap out of it. And one good thing that happens here is that the desperation that you sense in the psalmist helps the writer to follow God. Sometimes it's in our most desperate situations, our most desperate trials, when we're just overwhelmed, when we can feel what the psalmist is feeling. And I hope some of that is being conveyed in this. When we can feel like, God, I'm mourning, I'm broken, I'm surrounded by unfaithfulness, I even feel rejected by you. But if you'll lead me and you'll guide me, I know you'll get me back to that place of joy in your presence. And and that kind of desperation, God, you lead me, God, guide me, can lead to your destiny. It can lead to the best days of your life. It can lead you to what God intends for you to experience. Now, I talked about the early days of my church, and and folks, there there were many long periods of desperation. God, help me. God, help me. God, deliver me. And you know what that did? It made me hungry for revival. And so when revival started happening in the mid-'90s, I'm like, I'm going to be in on that. And I want that for myself. I wanted it for myself before I wanted it for the church or anybody else. I need it. I desperately needed it. And then once I experienced it, I wanted God to do it in our church. I wanted it to happen. And can I just say, out of that that desperation out of those days of desperation, the experience of revival at Victory Church is what made us into the church that we are and that we're still becoming. And I believe that that ongoing desire for a move of God's spirit, for God to do something that only he can do is going to shape us in this present revival that is beginning to be experienced and that I think is going to go on to deeper and deeper and higher and higher levels. It's just going to get better and better. But that sense of desperation is what made it happen, what allowed it to happen, what got me in a position to embrace what God wanted to do. And that's going to happen for a whole lot of you. That desperation. And when you just say, God, you lead me. God, you guide me. God, rescue me. Vindicate me. And you get beyond that to God. Guide me into your presence. He's not going to let you down. He's not going to disappoint you. Knowing that God will get him back, though. Knowing the psalmist, knowing that, man, You lead me, I'm going to get there. I'm going to be praising you and worshiping you and experiencing your joy. It doesn't immediately change the circumstances. You know, we're used to this whole plot line, you know, 
things blowing up and tension being escalated and resolution in 30 minutes or an hour or an hour and a half movie. And you don't get that in these five verses of this psalm. He's not automatically delivered from his depression. He's not automatically delivered from what he's feeling. How do I know that? Because after saying all these words about, God, you're going to lead me and you're going to get me back to that place of joy, he says in in verse 5, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? He still doesn't have the answer. He still doesn't have everything resolved. But he has hope. He has hope. He has hope. See, you can't just decide that you're going to rejoice. You can. But when you're in this pit, you can't always do that. You know what I'm talking about if you've been there. You can't always decide, oh, I'm going to be full of joy. Oh, rejoice in the Lord always. Yes, it's a command. It's hard. You can't always just flip that switch and make it happen. But here's something that he does tell his soul. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. If you've got a little bit of hope, Can I just tell you just a little bit of hope? A little bit of hope in God. He's going to lead you the rest of the way. Psalm 43, 5. Let's read the whole thing together. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why do so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. It's going to happen, my Savior and my God. Why? You know, my soul's still downcast. I'm still disturbed, but put your hope in God. He's going to bring you to that place of praise and of joy and has put your hope in God. I, I, I do strongly believe that joy is God's answer to depression. I believe that you know God wants to turn mourning, sadness, grief, sorrow, depression into joy. He wants to do that. But sometime the road between your depression and your pain and that joy is marked by your hope. And it might be something that just takes a little while. He can't just decide to snap himself out of it, but he can decide this. Soul, I know you're disturbed. I don't know why. Put your hope in God. Put, and I would say to you, put your hope in God. Can I tell you a little story about hope for deliverance from depression? And I got permission from my mom to share this story. And after four years of on and off depression, during which time she continued to serve the Lord, to teach Sunday school, to raise us children in the the ways of God. Her depression got worse and worse. And, you know, as I said, her, her doctor began talking about the possibility of having to hospitalize her. And back in those days, especially in the rural South, uh, that, that was very serious a serious situation, and a lot bigger deal in the 60s than it is now, today. And that was an indication of how desperate the situation was. I I won't go into a lot of details, but there was also some pretty strong confirmation that what probably started as maybe postpartum depression or very natural kind of depression was taking it, taken advantage of by powers of darkness. There was demonic 
engagement. And uh, that just made things all the worse. But my mom says one day as she's standing at her kitchen, this is October of 1964, she was standing at her sink in the kitchen and she could feel a spirit of depression come. It was getting closer. And as she felt that getting closer, she felt a strong urge from God to go pray. So she said, I went into my bedroom and knelt by my bed to pray. And as I went to kneel down, I heard a voice clearly say, plead the blood. My mom says, I I didn't know how to plead the blood of Jesus, so I just did what I knew to do, and I just called on the name of Jesus. I started saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And as she said, Jesus, she could feel the spirit of depression moving farther and farther away. And as that was happening, she looked up and saw at on the wall above the headboard of the bed, a mist was forming. And I know this sounds supernatural, and it is. But she saw this mist forming. My mom, she's not the kind to just make these kinds of things up. It's not like she had some kind of experience like this every day, all the time, or you know, frequently throughout the years. This was a one-time kind of experience. She saw this mist, and out of the mist, two hands reached down, and the Lord spoke to her and says, put your hands in mine. And she said she reached up and put her hands in those hands, and God began to speak of her to her of comfort and care. She said, I don't remember everything he said, but, but he, he just made promises to me. And he said after, she said, after a little while, he placed her hands back in her lap, and it was gone. The experience was over. You know what else was over? Her depression, immediately. It took three or four years to get there, but God delivered her. And I don't know how long it'll take for you. It might happen right now. It might happen as we pray for you. But I'm gonna tell you, there's hope. There's hope. There's hope. Put your hope in God. You might be asking your spirit, why are you downcast within me? But I'm telling you, make the decision that the writer of Psalm 43 made. I'm going to put my hope in you, God. I'm going to put my hope in you. You're going to get me back to that place of joy. Maybe you're, you're watching this right now or you're with me right here and you've never made a decision to surrender your life to Jesus. He, he wants to break the power of darkness over our lives. He wants to break the control of sin over our lives, which is a different issue. But Jesus died for our sins. He also died for our infirmities, our weaknesses, our griefs, our pains. And I want to encourage you to give your life to him. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, just pray this prayer with me right now in the room and online. Pray this out loud from your heart. Say these words, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I believe Jesus died. He was raised from the dead and he is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me live for you. I surrender my sins. I surrender my depression. I surrender my pain. And I receive your joy. I receive your hope. I receive your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for